SMB Wisdom acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands upon which we have recorded this podcast today. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to the SMB Wisdom podcast, coming to you from the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. My name is Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory, the proud sponsors of this podcast. The SMB Wisdom podcast is a forum to provide value tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. I'm so very blessed to have an amazing network of people who are fabulous at what they do. They might be accountants, lawyers, business owners, or any number of individuals that day in, day out, deal with the issues and problems that can plague small and medium business owners and come up with solutions, outcomes, and results to assist. It's now my mission to bring some of this knowledge to small and medium business owners to assist them in making their good businesses great and their great businesses fabulous. Now on with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome again to the SMB Wisdom Podcast, a forum to provide valued tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. My name's Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory and the host of this amazing podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to one of my fellow SMB partners, Andrew McNeil. Andrew is a registered liquidator and has over 15 years of experience in all forms of personal and corporate insolvency with the Melbourne office of SMB Advisory. Andrew is a professional member of Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand and the Australian Restructuring Insolvency and Turnaround Association. Andrew has broad experience in a number of business sectors, including gaming and hospitality, property, construction, warehousing and distribution, export, farming and agriculture, to name a few. Andrew frequently conducts investigative accountants reports on distressed borrowers on behalf of a number of financiers. Andrew has had significant practical experience before joining the firm in 2006, where he spent 10 years operating his own small business in the building industry. Andrew's practical grounding allows him to commercially resolve complex insolvency matters by being able to draw on real world experience. Andrew's very passionate about giving back to the community and is the current president of the West Layla Tennis Club and also sits on the board of Tennis Victoria. Andrew was awarded an Order of Australia medal for his services to tennis and the accountancy profession. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us today on the SMB Wisdom Podcast. Thanks for having me, Alice. Really happy to be here. Super exciting. Um, Now, Andrew, can we start off today by finding out the traditional land that you're coming to us from? Alice, I'm coming to you from the traditional land of the Kulin Nation. Fabulous. So that's in our SMB Melbourne office today. Correct. So I'm coming you from live from SMB Melbourne office. Fabulous. Um, now, we've heard, I was going to say part of your bio, but if that's only part of your bio, then, you know, I'm incredibly impressed because that's an extensive bio in itself. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of what you do day to day, maybe your elevator pitch? So my general role as an insolvency accountant is to help business owners through any sort of business issues, whether it's you know taxation issues, um, any type of you know liquidity issues which businesses face from a day to day, and actually helping them through that process and um, making it easier for them to navigate what can be quite a complex and difficult process, which Alice you, you are well aware of the insolvency. <laughs> You know, laws in this country make it quite difficult for business owners and individuals to understand what their options are. And our role really is just to make sure that people are fully armed with the information they need so they can make the right decision for themselves. Oh, and as, I think that's as, exactly good, yeah. And I was going to say also with, um, in terms of my volunteering, I love 
to give back to the community. So um, I am a tennis tragic. Um, I play tennis, play tennis from a young age, and I really love being able to be involved with something where you're building up the community. And I like to use, you know, my skills as an accountant to actually really help the community build something which is meaningful. Mm. I think I, I like to say, um, Andrew, that we like using our powers for good when we're doing some of that community work and uh, helping people sort of to and organisations to build themselves up. A hundred percent. I think you don't realise until you help some organisations, you know, you know they are not for profits they're generally run by people who with who aren't sophisticated at business and they don't understand you know a lot of the issues that you know, businesses face and someone who's a professional in accounting lawyers other you know business professionals can really give back to the community by offering you know assistance to those businesses oh totally and i think just going back to your um you know, sort of your professional, shall we say, elevator pitch as well. I think they, they both fit quite nicely together because I often think in insolvency, we're sort of more facilitators and fixers than anything a lot of the time. We've got this sort of vast network of people because of the different sort of work that we do every day that people can often pick up the phone to us and say, hey, have you ever dealt in insert industry here? Can you help us find somebody to manage this business? Or do you know anybody who's ever dealt with you know, R&D or what, and it's like, yeah, actually, we were talking to somebody the other day because you're doing so many things in so many different industries on so many different levels, um, you're able to sort of mix and match and really help people facilitate their businesses and their community organisations as well. I couldn't agree more, Alice. I think, you know, you never know what type of, you know, engagement you're going to be working on. Like in my past, you might be a dairy farm in Colac or a pharmaceutical company or you know pharmacy or whatever it is and each business has its own issues and you often face a myriad of different problems which we have to solve through through those engagements and I think that can be quite valuable information for people that are running businesses. And that's exactly why we're here doing this podcast um, is to be able to talk to a lot of those experts that we you and I deal with on our everyday uh, sort of journey and bring that information to business owners to sort of at least give people a bit of a glimpse as to what they can should know in the terms of business, but also people that they can talk to to assist them if they need to. Um, so excellent. We've got you actually on the podcast today to talk about something that's very topical and very important, um, director penalty notices, which can be issued by the tax office. And they're really an important debt recovery tool that are used by the ATO. Um, business owners and also people advising business owners in any capacity really need to be across uh, DPNs, uh, what they mean and sort of you know what the ultimate effect of those can be. So do you maybe want to just kick us off today by giving us a really quick sort of overview rundown of what, what is a DPN, Andrew? So a DPN is a tool which the ATO issues when there's a company has outstanding taxation debts. So the, the ATO, so a director of an organisation is automatically personally liable for the debts of the company and the ATO can't pursue that individual director for those, those taxation debts of the company without issuing the DPN notice. So the DPN is that tool which shifts the company's debt um, to the ATO to, to against the directors in their personal capacity, and it's you know quite a powerful tool which you know pierces the corporate veil for a corporation, which gives the ATO a benefit which other creditors don't actually have in an insolvency context. Mm. And that's really interesting that corporate veil concept because I think we need to just you know flesh that out for a second. So yeah, you know, I like to think. 
companies, we talk about sort of proprietary limited companies or incorporated associations, et cetera, they're actually entities in their own right, legal entities in their own right. So it's basically as though we're talking about another person um, when we're talking about companies. And so directors, generally speaking, can't automatically be liable for the debts of the company because they're two separate entities. But this tool is what actually allows the tax office to see through that, is that right, and make that connection. Yeah, that's correct. So the ATO used that tool to, to make that connection to the directors where they otherwise wouldn't be able to. No. And um, it's only in relation to specific ATO debts. That's right, isn't it, in relate the DPNs? It's not sort of your, the overall income tax doesn't really come into it at this point. Um, but can you tell us sort of the types of debts uh, that okay. the DPNs can relate to? I can, Alice. So DPNs relate to, so historically DPNs related to PAYG, so it's pay to go withholding and superannuation owing under SGC laws. Um, more recently, they've expanded the scope of the director penalty regime. So from 1 April 2020, um, GST was, was included in the DPN regime, which means that from 1 April, any net GST owing um, can be included under a director penalty notice issued to a director, which really broadens the power and effect of the director penalty regime, which, you know, um, would otherwise in the past not have been able to pursue the directors for a significant amount of company's debts, where now it generally will encompass most of the debts that companies mm. incur. And that's really huge. I think the extension to GST and also, you know, talk about sort of reporting on GST and why that's now so important, because, Andrew, there's more than one type of DPN, isn't there? Correct. So there's two types of DPN. So there's a, a non-lockdown DPN and a lockdown DPN. Uh, so a non-lockdown DPN is where uh, the ATO gives you the ability to, you've got 21 days to deal with the tax debts, um, otherwise you become personally liable for the debts. And a lockdown DPN um, is where you haven't reported uh, within the required time period, which is generally so it's three months. If you haven't lodged your BAS um, or your IS statement in, in relation to PAYG and GST within three months of the due date, um, you automatically become liable for that tax debt and it, it leaves little option other than paying that debt for the directors. Um, and your superannuation needs to be lodged on the due date of this SGC statement, which is generally two months after the super, superannuation is due to be paid. So I think I like to think of the lockdown DPNs as a little bit like, you know, too bad, so sad. We're sort of giving you notification, but there's not much more you can do in relation to that. And to that end, it's it's really important, isn't it, that um, oh. directors sort of make sure that their lodgements are done on time to give them those options. 100%. I think a lot of business owners and even accounts aren't really across the, the ramifications of the, you know, the lockdown DPNs. Often we see, you know, a, a director's received a lockdown DPN, you know, months in months ago and they haven't done anything about it and they're not aware that they are personally liable for that debt and there's no way for them to avoid it and always you know my my advice to any accountant or business owner is do your lodgements mm. you know, simple as that get your lodgements done make give yourself the best chance of avoiding a personal liability if if you have to go through it you know an insolvency mm. No, absolutely. And I think it's a fallacy to think, you know, well, if I don't make my lodgements, then I'm not really liable and so I won't have to pay and no one's going to be chasing me up because the simple fact of the matter is if you don't make the lodgements, then you're really going to give yourself the worst chance 
of being able to get out of something because realistically you're going to be liable before you even know it I think sometimes. Oh, 100%. And a lot of accountants won't lodge because they're worried about their client not being able to meet the debts. And I'm like, that's the worst possible thing you could do in this scenario. Do the lodgements and then deal with the ATO and engage with the ATO because that's your best chance of being able to negotiate with the ATO payment plan. And, you know, they, they do look at your compliance history when you're trying to negotiate. So the sooner you can engage with the ATO, get your lodgements up to date, you've got the best chance of trying to deal with a, you know, a significant tax debt. And it's not just that, Andrew. I think, you know, you talk about compliance history being important to negotiate, but it goes a step further. I mean, you and I both know in terms of if, you know, say a DPN's issued, um, it's a non-lockdown DPN, and we'll talk about options in the moment, but say a director decides to put the company into voluntary administration with a view to trying to um, get a deed of company arrangement up and to continue to trade, that compliance history is imperative. If the tax office is one of the main creditors or even a, just a substantial creditor, for them to accept um, or even consider uh, a DOCA proposal, that compliance history and how the company is going to meet its um, compliance obligations going forward uh, is really a substantial factor that they look at, isn't it? Oh, from, based upon my, you know, dealings with deed of company arrangements, voluntary administrations, the ATO would often be against a voluntary voluntary administration leading to a deed of company arrangement and a lot of the time that it's, it's based upon the fact that their compliance history is poor they haven't done their tax returns they haven't done their tax lodgements and the ATO don't know what debt they're dealing with and I think mm -hmm. this is a good segue Alice in terms into the new small business restructuring process which you know has been developed you know in conjunction with you know government and the ATO which to provide a process which allows for lodgements must be completed to be eligible for the small business restructuring process which means the ATO know what debt they're dealing with compliance history has been good therefore the ATO is more likely to accept it because they know the debts they're dealing with when they're mm. looking to you know accept or reject a compromise where in the past they'd automatically reject the compromise because they weren't aware of the quantum of the debts which they're dealing with mm, no it's super important now would we talk about options that are available in terms of non-lockdown DPNs? Directors have some options that they can enter into in order to prevent that personal liability. And we'll just remind listeners, so this is in the instance where the lodgements are up to date um, and a DPN has been issued on the basis of unpaid PAYG, uh, GST or SGC. There are some options that are available to directors. We've just spoken briefly about voluntary administration and small business restructuring. What else is available? So when, a, when the ATO issues the non-lockdown DPN, they've got, generally they've got the option is the small business restructuring, as I suggested. So they've got 21 days from the date that the DPN is issued by the ATO to put the company into small business restructuring. Alternatively, a voluntary administration, a liquidation, which is a standard creditors voluntary liquidation or a simplified liquidation. Um, historically in the past, they could put the couples, enter into a payment plan with the ATO. Um, recent cases in the federal court, uh, I think it's the Clifton case, which which um, outlined that the debt payable to the ATO is still due and payable under the payment arrangement. Therefore, that's not grounds to effectively stop the DPN. So that's now not an option which directors have as part of what they can do to avoid that personal exposure within the 21 business day or 21 days, I should say. 
Yeah. And look, just really broad brush so that our listeners can um, sort of, I guess, assess different options. A small business restructure and a voluntary administration, those are appointments that can be made by the directors themselves. Uh, entering into a credit as a voluntary liquidation is um, an appointment by the shareholders, which realistically in smaller uh, PTY LTD companies uh, generally have some sort of nexus or are the same people as the directors. Um, and then um, obviously, yeah, the simplified credit as voluntary liquidation, there are some criteria that need to be met, but it's a general purpose CVL first and then opt for this, the simplified if the criteria are met um, once that appointment's been made. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. So, <clears throat> and this is a pretty important one, to be honest, but how would you know if you got a DPM? How, direct, how are directors notified of their director penalty notices? So directors are notified. So the address on that ASIC register is, is where the director penalties get issued to. So that it's imperative that the directors update their, their address on the register. Um, they are also on the on the portal. I receive a number of calls from accountants saying that they've just seen this director penalty notice. So the director themselves haven't actually checked their mail and or haven't updated their records, and it's been issued on the portal for the director. And the penalty has been raised on the director's personal um, portal. So it's something. Generally speaking, the director needs to check the, his mail, but the accountant can also review and look for a DP on the portal. And it's 21 days from the, the issue date. And the, I think that's date. a really important thing to notice too. Sorry, yeah, please go. Yeah, the date the ATO issues the notices that when the clock yeah. starts ticking on the 21 days. Yeah, so it's really important that, you know, directors identify that date very quickly because it may not be the same as the date they've received it. Um, it could be sometime later. And also, you know, as much as um, we can be as proactive as anybody, things don't happen in a matter of hours. So it's obvious it's um, obvious that people need to act quickly in order to be able to get as many options as they can um, to be available to deal. Couldn't agree more, Alice. It's, you know, the speed of Australia Post these days, it does take a number of days to get the DPN out to the address of the director. And often they don't have a lot of time by the time they've spoken to their accountant and their accountants then reached out to us to have a chat about their options. It really needs that they need to act quickly. Mm. And, um, one of the peculiarities that I sort of have stumbled across that I think is really important to mention is that it's not actually just listed directors that can be personally liable for DPN um, amounts. You can actually have associates um, that are opened up to that personal liability as well. So it's not enough just to say, oh, I'm not involved, you know, I'm not listed on the ASIC uh, website, I'm not a director of the company, I'm safe. It's really important to understand, I think, that associates can also be liable for um, director penalties and that piercing of the corporate veil. And so you do need to be really careful in terms of associated entity involvement, I think. And, all, you know, even like new directors, once you're appointed, you've got 30 days to, you know, make a decision, understand the complete history, you know, which could be a significant his trading history and understand if there's any tax debts which are outstanding. And it's 30 days you need to make a decision, otherwise you will be personally liable. Mm. And That's so true. I really think that the... Um, you know, the takeaway from all of this is as soon as something comes up or as soon as directors are a little bit concerned or they have received something or they think that they might be, seek advice really early from their advisors, um, from a professional, insolvency practitioners like us 
or um, general purpose accountants or lawyers or other advisors um, to be able to act quickly because it's really not something where, I mean, I don't think the head in the sand approach works at the best of times, but this is definitely not um, an occasion for that to come out. Um, so I think next, Andrew, we've been speaking about DPNs, but what other tools are you aware of that the ATO can use or um, is often using in order to pursue its debts? So probably the most powerful other tool that the ATO can use is a garnishee notice. Um, historically, the ATO had used the garnishee quite widely um, and was subject to criticism. So they, they did step back a bit from issuing the garnishee notice. But the garnishee effectively... Um, where the company or a director has debts owing to the ATO, they can issue that garnishee notice onto a banking institution, debtors of a company, which effectively gives the, the, the ATO priority, or priority to those, uh, attaches a security onto those actual assets, which means that the ATO um, must get paid if there are funds in the bank account um, mm. or the debtors owe the company funds. And the most powerful um, aspect of the garnishee is the fact that it's not recoverable in a liquidation by a liquidator as an unfair preference, which when you look at the Corporations Act, what defines an unfair preference, you know, it, it is a creditor within the six month period receiving more than any other unsecured ordinary creditors receive. And this mm -hmm. garnishee effectively is the ATO recovering an unsecured debt um, just because they've got the power to issue this garnishee notice, which um, is then attached to this asset, which which effectively avoids us being able to recover the debt as a, a preference um, mm -hmm. under the Corporations Act, which, you know, was likely, I think, probably it comes back from the ATO being afforded a priority in you know many years ago before yeah. a long long time ago and these tools were given to the ato to help you know recover debts um probably in excess than what a normal normal unsecured creditor would receive in a winding mm. up oh look the um tax administration act is a very powerful piece of legislation it's sort of quite um yeah, quite eye-opening when you start looking at what is available there. So it's important to, I think, understand all of these different elements and what recovery tools are available for the tax office so that everybody and directors and business advisors can actually understand, you know, what's out there and how they can work around um, making sure that they're giving themselves the best chance if they are in a um, financially distressed situation. And, and speaking of that, we've seen in the press now that the tax office issued almost 18,500 director penalty notices in 2022 to individual directors in respect of more than 13,500 companies for unpaid GST, income tax withholding and superannuation guarantee charge. We also know that nearly 500 businesses have now been um, reported to credit reporting agencies um, in terms of having that more than, I think it's $100,000 outstanding uh, in ATO debt. Um, you know, there's a few other criteria that fit in there, but that's, that's significant as well. Um, I guess I'm seeing that flow through now a little bit more prevalent um, early this year and sort of later towards the end of last year. Um, I've been seeing some consents come through uh, with the tax offices, the petitioning creditor, and the phones have been ringing a little bit more. What about you, Andrew? Can you tell me what you're seeing in practice and what's going on in the real world um, as a result of the tax offices' activity in this regard? Yeah, no worries, Alice. So in terms of 
activity. So I, I do a lot of voluntary appointments, as you're well aware of, which is where a director appoints you know me to help them with their affairs, whether it's a small business restructuring, voluntary administration or a liquidation. Um, so I would generally get contacted by the accountant who obviously has been told about the DPN. And I found from last year when the warning letters were being issued, I was getting a significant amount of calls from accountants financial counsellors, directors regarding, you know, what these letters meant because it was very unclear on what the actual warning letters were. It was just a warning that they were, you know, the ATO may issue a DPN. And then obviously the, the ATO went one step further and started, like you said, issuing 18,000 um, DPNs, you know, throughout the calendar year of 2022, which was a significant, you know, step up from prior years when during COVID when the ATO weren't actively pursuing tax debts. And I think more recently, so from after the, probably from around May to September, October last year, there's been a lot of inquiries about DPNs and what people can and can't do and what their options are. Unfortunately, a lot of the calls I've received have been after the DPNs have expired. So they've been non-lockdown DPNs, but they've expired well and truly like months ago and the accountant wasn't aware of it. They've, they might've seen it on the portal. Mm. Um, and I think it's trying to like, so, webinar like this is perfect, I guess, reminder for people that, you know, we sh they should be actively engaging with their clients, whether it's the accountants, solicitors, you know, with their clients and making sure that if there are DPNs that they're, you know, notifying their accountant who can then seek advice from someone like ourselves who can give them their, their options, which are available to them, hopefully yeah. within the 21 days. So we can provide the best advice and the best assistance to them. Um, so they can make the right decision for both them and the company. Mm. I know there's a lot of accountants now that are actually doing monthly or quarterly sort of more subscription uh, compliance and advisory work where they've got their um, ongoing clients that are sort of signed up to a program and they get, you know, obviously with Zero and, and other programs, you know, they've obviously got the interface there, but it's obvious it's almost renewed every quarter or every month. And I wonder whether or not it's an option for them to have a short questionnaire like when they actually have that interface with their client on those periods to actually say, have you been served with one of these? You know, um, just to sort of trigger it off to if, if people don't think that it's automatically something that they should be talking to their accountants about, which it is, um, but to almost sort of provide some impetus for them to say, oh, yeah, oh, that's that thing that came <laughs> Yes, I do have yeah, one of those. Um, and some of, the funny thing is, like, it's it, some of the conversations I've had with accountants and directors you know, they, they don't take it serious because I think the colour of the DPN is orange. Mm. And they're like, well, it's orange, so it really isn't. The next stage is red when mm. it's really important. And I'll tell my accountant when it's red. But it was a DPN, which is orange, and mm. they've missed their opportunity, which, and I agree, Alice, like if there's anything an accountant can do with their, you know, their clients, if that's mm. going to help them build awareness for what a DPN is, you know, or a statutory demand, like making sure these really key you know, items that are really impactful on them and their businesses, then, yeah. you know, and I think education for accountants is key also because the accountant isn't aware of the ramifications, then it's hard for him to then advise his clients. Yes, that's correct. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back. And Andrew, you can give us your top things to remember when dealing with DPNs. Okay, will do. Thanks, Alice. SMB Wisdom is proudly sponsored by SMB Advisory.
SMB Advisory is a specialist firm of chartered accountants dedicated to providing specialist insolvency services to financiers, advisors, directors and individuals. The team at SMB Advisory are a safe set of hands to talk through your options when things get tough or when you find yourself in a tricky business situation and you're not sure what's next. Call the team on 1800 762 238 or send a message through the website www.smbadvisory.com.au to talk through the next steps in your business journey. And we're back with Andrew McNeil, one of my partners at SMB Advisory today, and we're talking all things DPN. Andrew, we've had a great chat so far, um, and I think we've fleshed out quite a few issues uh, in relation to these really important um, tools, I think, that recovery tools that the ATO uses. Um, just to sum up today, do you think you can give us your, I guess, top tips or things to remember when dealing with DPNs for, um, for directors, I guess, and advisors as well? Sure thing, Alice. I think the main key items they're quite simple really it's keep your address up to date on the ASIC register because if you don't keep your address up to date you won't get notice and your accountant may not see it on that on that on the ATO portal so I think that's probably the primary key I guess aspect on helping deal with DPN second is lodgements up to date um, we the options are very limited if you don't have your lodgements up to date so I, I'd always recommend make sure all your lodgements are up to date and engage with the ATO. So if you do have taxation debt, so lodge on time, understand what your debts are, and then engage with the ATO and try and work with the ATO as best as possible. Mm -hmm. And probably the most key thing, if you are issued a DPN, then make sure you know you act quickly because you've only got a 21-day period. And like we said earlier, if you miss the deadline, you really have no other option other than to paying the debt in full. Fabulous points, Andrew. I think they're so very important. And the more that we say them, I know we always seem to say them a lot, but they're so important. And hopefully the more we say them, the more they get out there and um, we're then able to help people a lot earlier with a lot more options if they do get into financial distress. Um, so, Andrew, at this time on the podcast, I normally ask my guests what the best piece of business wisdom it has that you have or that anyone's ever given you. Are you able to share something with us today? Probably my best piece of advice would just be authentic with everything you do and everyone you deal with. I think we deal with people at a very vulnerable time and just to make sure that what we're telling people is 100% accurate and so people can make the right choice for them. And, you know, for me, I'm not going to tell anyone any other way than how a liquidation will work, how it will impact them because, you know, I want the best for that person and, and I hope that one day, you know, if I was in a similar position, I'd be able to get the same advice. And I think throughout my dealings with people through through my life to date, you know, from running a small business in the construction industry to, you know, being an insolvency practitioner, registered liquidator, to being on the board of Tennis Victoria, I think it's put me in good stead in terms of being able to, you know, be authentic and people will respect you and, and everything you do. So that's that would be my advice. I think that's really important advice, Andrew. I um, I support that wholeheartedly. And thank you very much for coming on today. And I know I gave you quite short notice to come on. You've done brilliantly. Um, it's been a great discussion. It's always, you know, good to chat with you. But it's a very important topic. And I don't think that we can talk enough about it just to get the words out and to try and let sort of more people know uh, about how important it is, um, you know, the DPN regime and how that works. Um, Look, before we go, can you just let our listeners know how we can find you if we want to connect? So you can find me on SMB's website. So mm -hmm. if 
know, via Google search, um, SMB and uh, under the people section, you'll find me there or you can LinkedIn, I'm available or um, 1-800-SMB advisory. If you ring through and want to speak to us, then we're more than happy to assist at any time of the day. And I think that's one thing which, you know, we are a trusted advisor who can help, you know, people um, mm -hmm. get through a really difficult period of their time. No, that's excellent. And look, we'll have uh, Andrew's full bio and details um, of how to connect him in our notes and also, well, it's already on our webpage, but we'll have it again on our webpage, Andrew, just so people are doubly likely to be able to connect with you. Um, and thank you, everybody, to, uh, to everybody who's listened in today. Please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the fabulous episodes we have coming up. Um, please also give us a rating so that others can find out about us too. And if there's any specific topics you'd like us to talk about on SMB Wisdom, reach out, send us an email or, um, or a message on LinkedIn and we'll see what we can do. Join us again for our next episode of SMB Wisdom. And in the meantime, be wise in business. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Alice.